Welcome to The Descent, a podcast dedicated to international horror and genre films. I'm Mikey P. Jr., and with me I have... John Patterson, a.k.a. Astroslot. Welcome. So, the theme for this week is unorthodox use of animation in genre films. <laughs> and boy or oh boy, are these films definitely one of a kind. One of them, The Wolf House, is a haunting fairy tale, while the other, How Beyond the Fog, is a beautiful kaiju story. So let's start off with The Wolf House. John, take it away with the production information. All right, so The Wolf House, uh, a.k.a. original title La Casa Lobo, is a Chilean stop-motion animated horror film that was directed by uh, Cristobal Leon and uh, Joaquin Cochina. It is also co-written by Alejandra Moffat. It was released in 2018. The film was actually apparently shot several, like throughout several art house spaces and things like that. It is stop-motion for the most part. It is also large-scale stop-motion where a lot of these films scenes were shot and filmed in you know full-size rooms with very large very large art pieces and um it's currently available on shutter and uh, several other streaming services and its production company is deluvio and global rojo films all right and the synopsis goes as follows the film begins with live action footage of a colony the narrator explains how the community lives in peace as they export their goods which is honey we get more shots of all the smiling faces and the living stock running free the narrator claims as a shepherd of this community, I hope to dispel the horrible rumors that have stained our reputation. Then the actual film begins. Text on screen explains that Maria, a blonde girl with blue eyes, let some pigs out on accident. Her punishment is to spend a hundred days and a hundred nights in solitary to think over what she has done. She escapes in the middle of the night with the wolf closely behind her. She finds an abandoned house and manages to lock the wolf out. Once safe, she scavenges the house for food and water. While in the restroom, two pigs appear in the corner which Maria befriends by saying she doesn't want to eat them like the wolf. There's no indication on how much time has passed when the camera pans over with Maria sitting on a chair in peace with one of the pigs on her lap. Then it's just them hanging out. She decides to transform the pigs into humans using a magical ball because she wants creatures who will never run away. The body horror that follows is disturbing and unique in ways as we see the pigs grow hands and the other pigs grow feet. Once the transformation is almost complete, Maria names them Ana and Pedro, and she gives them clothes to wear. This helps them fully transform into humans. The wolf stays out of the house, waiting and wondering what the house is made out of. Maria becomes a leader and a teacher to Anna and Pedro. At dinner, she shows them manners and explains the world using her logic until a candle accidentally falls and burns Pedro entirely. The house begins to burn, and the wolf watches it all. He explains that he can do a better job taking care of the pigs than what Maria can do. In order to help Pedro, Maria drops honey on his head and says, We are going to heal that darkened skin. The honey engulfs him, and he is transformed yet again to what Maria refers to as a person who is stronger and healthier. Blonde hair replaces his brown hair and his eyes turn blue. Anna immerses herself in the honey and ends up transforming just like Pedro. The house becomes less stressful. Flowers begin to bloom. Even the wolf is gone for now. All three are finally living in unison as they wear traditional German attire and angelic noises surround them. As time passes on, they live carefree and didn't ration their food. After a few weeks of limited food, their supply is officially dry. Pedro and Anna begin to talk behind Maria's back, talking about how much she eats compared to the rest of them. They grab Maria and tie her to a bed to eat her. Maria prays for a wolf for his help. He aids her by huffing and puffing and blows the house down. After everything, Maria returns to the colony. All right. So the wolf house. Um, <laughs> this is definitely this the wolf house as well. I've, I'm going to be honest, like I've never seen anything like this before. And I probably saw this a couple years ago. And like a lot of these images just like they're still really burned into my mind. You know what I mean? Yeah, the film uh, itself is one that there's nothing else like it, really. It's the mixed media of the stop motion is really remarkable throughout from start to finish. 
like uh, the way you'll see the paintings on the wall start to interact with the objects like almost seamlessly is just insane and the overall atmosphere of the film is overbearing to the point of being difficult to watch at times i'd say oh definitely most definitely like you can really feel like it's so dense like i don't know it just there's this vibe that you get from it that i just that honestly i I don't think i've experienced in at least in years and yeah the the so there's always something happening visually and there's always something happening in the audio as well like even while the things are being painted on the walls or when things are moving there's sound related to it and there's always like a like an ambient noise that accompanies every single little thing that happens, like every movement that like I watched it last night, partially yeah, with the- headphones on. And it's like, it's almost overwhelming when you have them turned up and you're just focused in on it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely understand that. Like, um, that's what I was going to say too. Like I watched it this morning and like, I think just the sounds of like the paintbrushes, like scraping against like the walls and stuff. I don't know. There's something about that. It was, it was just really chilling. And I was just like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> like, come on. Like, why is this disturbing me this much? Like, I don't get it. Yeah. And uh, I think something really interesting too, is the way they'll stay in a single room, but they'll keep reconfiguring it by painting the background and like moving the furniture around. So it's like a scene is happening, but the relation of the subjects to like the physical space of the scene is always weird. Like there's the sequence where she's first giving the pigs uh, water for or something to get for, so that they start to grow hands and feet. And like Maria is part of the wall, but there's these paper mache hands coming out of the floor that are her hands and the pigs are, you know, there's also part of the wall, but then they start yeah. to come out of it. And you're just like, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. Yeah, actually, like speaking about that that scene, I, I actually just um I noticed like I think they painted her on this like um transparent like mirror and kind of like moved her around, but then like you said, the paper mache would come out looking like her hand, and I was just I don't know, dude, uh, there's something about that, <laughs> and just um the whole scene with the pigs, like oh my god, like that body homer was really like that that's that's some top notch stuff without like disturbing and without without it being gross you know what i mean yeah it's not gory it's more like existentially terrifying because this pig just looks down at its hoof just splits yes. into five fingers and you're like okay well that's upsetting and they seem interested but concerned by what's happening and uh i yeah yeah oh, it's just a lot <laughs> there's a lot to <laughs> even movie. like um <laughs> there, there really is um like even freaking um like anna like later on when she's still like more pig but still less human like her pig um like her her suit has like boobs coming out and i don't know it's just very disturbing i'm like who the hell thought about this i don't know (laughs) one thing i did notice is that like whenever it's just like it enters a new scene and there's a head and then they like construct the body and then the clothes like they already always finish painting like the nude body before they get the clothes on it but they're just painting over it mm-hmm. again. So it's like, it's really, cons- it's really disconcerting because you'll see like someone's painted and then all of a sudden this person has nipples and now they have a dress and it doesn't matter anymore. And you're just wondering what the hell is going on. <laughs> like what was the point? But I mean, <laughs> oh man. I, I don't um, think we can get too much deeper into this without just talking about what this is supposed to be. Like what's it, it's in reference to. You know, uh, uh, the yeah, actually, the Colonia um, Dignidad. Yeah, um, I believe you have some information on that as well, right? Yeah, I have some. Um, it was basically like a cult, almost like an Anabaptist style cult, like an like an Amish sort of thing. You know, it was 
apparently actually not. They had airstrips and stuff. But the way they were dressed, I've, if anyone can tell us if that footage at the start of La Casa Lobo is like archival footage of that compound, it would be great, actually. That'd be good to know. Because it could yeah, be. I would, I would love to know that. But uh, it, it looks legit to me. Like, it yeah. Looks- it looks aged enough. It doesn't look staged. It just looks like that kind yeah, of like, weird like, like there's a filter footage. or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it just looks like cleaned up archival footage. And if that's the case, that's that's terrible. But also at that's the same time, right. fascinating. Um, so it was a uh, it was a colony that was started in the 1970s. It was under the leadership of a fugitive Nazi named Paul Schaefer. He segregated the sexes. He, there was a lot of uh, child molestation. Well, not even rumors. It's like it's verified fact at this point. It was basically some sort of like fascistic cult in Chile being run by Paul Schaefer. And they would also apparently uh, take like political prisoners and like people that, uh, cause they, they kind of were in cahoots with uh, his full name escapes. Okay, Ag- right. Augusto Pinochet. There we go. I forgot his first name because yeah. he's a fucking terrible person. And, uh, and that dictator was whew, something else, man. Yeah. And they would apparently send people to the colony to be tortured and murdered, basically. So it served like a double purpose. Like Schaefer got what he wanted and Pinochet got what he wanted out of it. So it was kind of this thing where there was these like two fascist oppressive systems that like fed into each other and created something that was like Mm -hmm. far worse than it probably could have been otherwise. Because, you know, you have to have co-conspirators with the sort of things. And Schaefer seemed to be fully down with doing this and was already terrible so it's 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 tough to think that like it's one of the things i noticed too was um so the 70s that was about like 50 years from from today and I, I noticed a lot of modern references um like el chavo de ocho and stuff and i saw that and i was like man like i don't know it's just crazy to think that like this was going on like when my parents were born you know what i mean yeah and like it was just very hush hush until like fairly recently, if anything. And it's like, what the heck? <laughs> well, you know, it, like I, I remember you even mentioned that um, I believe like you saw one of your your son's clocks on there. Yeah, the thing is, like they some of the some of the props are like not from the seventies. Probably it was like a digital clock. Mm-hmm. It was just like this little cube clock and that lights I, up, and like feeding those like modern things into it just makes it. Like it makes it weirder. It does. It does. It gives it like this timeless feel, while it still feels like it's something that should have happened a long, long time ago. You know, and it that just adds to this more like just it just adds to this um, chilling like atmosphere that these directors have already created. Yeah, and the because the footage at the beginning kind of places it in a certain time, like it places it in you know like the, a modern context because you know they're using. Uh, they're using color footage of, you know, events and it appears to be a propaganda video. And then, but when it switches mm-hmm. into the stop motion aspect, like it could be set during any time. And I think you wanted to talk about this a little bit because it feels like a fairy tale that's like stuck outside of time, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So like, this is already like a big thing in Latin American horror where like they just, they love fusing their fairy tales with horror. And I mean, that's exactly what this is, you know, like, it's funny because even Maria uses like I think she uses like two or three um like fairy tales of her own to like kind of like to ch- to kind of show her like her teachings and her, and her lessons onto Pedro and Anna. Like, do you remember the story about the dog in the house that that she uses? Yes, I do. Yeah, and she like so she essentially says this story where it's like, 
oh, there was this dog who was loved so much by the house, but even but even though there was so much love coming from the house the dog left and he was basically lost him forever and i'm just like man this is a really smart way for her to show like how she's like manipulating these two people who obviously like don't really know much it's it's just insane seeing like these um just the fairy tale aspects from this like i i'm pretty sure you are caught on to that there's a lot of like references to like the three little pigs and like little red riding hood and like snow white with the apple from like the, yeah. the first couple of images mm-hmm. Yeah, it ties into yeah, a lot so, of that image imagery that like we know like culturally it's something that you just understand since from being a child basically and it takes that and it twists it in such a way because she's away from the colony as they call it in the I believe they call it the colony in the film. Um she's away from the colony mm-hmm. but she's doing similar things to these these pigs now children that she's found and she's like using these twists on like classic fairy tales to like basically keep them in line and with her yeah yeah totally um that's what i liked about it too because like so essentially she's over here trying to like run from tyranny but then she turns into a tyrant (laughs) you know what i mean like she she starts like um she starts having like these rules where like you can't go outside um you have to listen to what i say and everything that i say is true no matter what you hear and stuff and it's kind of just um crazy seeing this cycle of like you basically turn into what you were trying to um to flee from yeah and eventually she realizes she can't do it and she returns but something that's interesting is the way it's set up is it's set up almost like it's a continuation of the video at the beginning because like the way the film is shot and the way that it works is it feels like the wolf is obviously we'll say that's schaefer from the colony from the real life colony is the wolf mm. who only speaks in german that's what i figured too and yeah. he is the only character that only speaks in german throughout the entire film and um, <clears throat> wait no he does speak mm-hmm. in spanish at some points doesn't he a, a, a little bit of spanish yeah but, especially when he does his little maria <laughs> oh, god it's so creepy but uh, <laughs> like come on man it's like burn but but like it's this person leaving the colony and then figuring out that they can't because of what they've learned at the colony they can't survive outside of it so they have to return and it's like this weird indoctrination story and that comes through in like when she first flees she when she knocks on the house she asks if there's any chileans there she doesn't ask Mm-hmm. if there's who's there she asks if there's any chileans there specifically because at this point most of the uh, the colony would have been you know like german expatriates and you know maria mm-hmm. is visibly german looking in the film she starts blonde haired blue eyed she starts you know with mm-hmm. th- that look about her and then when the pigs turn into children they turn into what would look more like a chilean child instead of you know like a german child and then she starts like working on them mentally and stuff like that and you mentioned earlier, he pours honey on them to turn their burned flesh into, you know, to fix it. And it turns them into German children, mm-hmm. basically. And they even have, like, painted yeah, on it, later hosen it, at that point. <laughs> and then we get that scene where it's just, like, all of them, like, all blonde, all blue eyes, just holding hands. And, like, <laughs> that angelic, like, voice in the background. I'm just like, God damn, like, man, this, like, this is some really powerful stuff. I was just like, God damn. It, it's got a lot of you know, it's got a lot of layers you can dig at, which make it really interesting to oh, actually sit down time. and talk about. Oh, big time! Because like, so like going back to like those uh, pigs and stuff, like it, it's kind of crazy seeing how like you you basically see these like these wild like animals basically turn into like the indigenous people of Chile, and then Maria's like, "That's not good enough," you know what I mean? Like, 
I need you to be pure. And then that's where, like you said, we start, we, we see the honey transformation and then they turn into, you know, like to the pure race, basically. Not, not, not that I think that, but like, you know what I mean? That's yeah. And in her mindset, their, because their language, if you, yeah, really, yeah. If in, you really think about it, they, because it's a fairy tale and it basically works off fairy tale, like ideas, seeing them as pigs at first could just be because she's been taught to see anyone who's not her people as subhuman. So they're pigs, but then she identifies them as children eventually. But like you said, that's just not enough. They can't just be children. They have to be my kind of children. They have to be exactly like me. Yeah. And eventually that mindset turns against her and she realizes she can't do it. So she has to go back to the wolf. And, um, so like remember how uh so those mentioned those fairy tale stories that she gives there's another one i don't know if you remember the one about the honey where she gives like a little bit of exposition about the honey right. um she essentially says that um that like there's this magic called honey and this is right before she she like engulfs um uh pedro mm-hmm. she basically says that this honey um like it's it's great among the colony but that the, the dark-skinned kids couldn't use it because in her words they're dumb and lazy and i was just like wow like <laughs> and then we see the transformation i'm just like wow <laughs> like that's that's some dense shit man that's that is some dense that's shit. pretty on the nose at that point but yeah and it's yeah. and it's it's funny because like if you stop and think about it at the end of the day too you could also like potentially say by looking at the film that she is a uh, schaefer who's like a little tyrant and the the wolf who is helping her and concealing her as Pinochet who actually controlled the entire country. Like there's a lot of, oh, that's actually, there's a yeah, lot that's of a good way to put it. Yeah. There's, think about that. there's a lot of like national wounds at play here in the wolf house. Like oh, it definitely, definitely, it is about the trauma of dealing with these things, but it's also like exploring it in a way that makes it really fascinating. And then, a lot of these things don't even occur to you until after you like sat down after watching the movie for a bit and like you go and you read some of the history because yeah, totally. like you need that context for it wouldn't make sense otherwise you would just look at it and go oh that was neat and you walk away you know but like with the context you start peeling <laughs> yeah, back that's... the different areas like you pointed out the the one window gets painted and it's a swastika before it closes and you're like okay <laughs> yeah and that's like early on too, so I was just like, "Well, like, what the hell's going on?" Because I didn't know about this, um, this this background until after my first watch, and I was, and then I slowly started putting things together, and I was like, "Damn, I have to watch this again." I didn't want to, like, I wanted to, but I was like, "I, I, I got to give myself some time because it's it's a it, it's a very tough watch." It is a tough watch, but I'll give it this: it goes by just by how fascinating the film is. It goes by much more quickly than. I remembered it doing the first time I watched it. This was my second time watching it. And the pacing is just absolutely fine because there's always something happening. There's always something going on. It doesn't slow down for very long, but it never feels like it's like racing to finish mm-hmm. or anything either. It's got like, it's one of those movies, it's like the perfect length for what it is, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, like, uh, kind of like how you mentioned how like, the, the narrative kind of stops. I wouldn't say it stops, but it halts for like a couple seconds so you can see the like the the creation and destruction of these 2D and 3D animations and it's just just being able to visualize that visualize that it's just um just seeing it happen is it just it keeps the story going somehow like 
it just this is something I haven't really seen, and the story is still going, even though it's technically not for those quick couple seconds. Yeah, and be, because of the intricacy of the the work with the paper mache and the painting and the sculpture and everything else, like even when it's in those like transition moments where it's changing things around, like you're still interested because there's still something visually appealing happening. I, appealing might not be the right word because there's always like a sense of dread to everything changing, I guess. But like, there's always mm. something visually interesting happening. You're never bored if the plot has taken a moment to like breathe and they're moving things around because you, your eyes always have something to focus on, something new to notice. Yeah. And honestly, like it, it kind of opened my eyes to the whole, like um, just the animation aspects of this is like, cause you really get to see how they transform everything. And like, even for something as simple as like just switching the set from one room of like switching the tile to like just a painted tile like you see it happen and it's just um again like i don't want to say interesting but it's just yeah i mean it's interesting to look at to see just the whole transformation going on and not even to mention like sometimes you're seeing things be built and you have no idea what's going on you have no idea what they're gonna do next and like you're kind of worried about what it's gonna be like Every single time they'd paint a door, I was just worried that that door was going to become a real door and open. And it only happens a couple times, but like mm -hmm. it, it really, it really draws your attention yeah. to the craft of it just by the way it is. Yeah. And honestly, like just the craft alone is just something that like, this is one of the reasons I picked this film is because like, first of all, like it's showing a story, it's showing a side of Latin America that isn't really that well known. Like, well, at least to me, it wasn't that well known. Like, I didn't know this was going on. And then, so on top of the subject matter, you just get this really interesting visuals that, again, it's truly unique to this film. And I don't really think I've seen anything happen like this. And I don't really think I will see anything like this for a while. Like, you know, because this was uniquely them, the two, the two directors. Yes, this is very much like there's some people working in the animation space where you see the work and you go, you can immediately identify what it is. And uh, Leon and Cochinia really have like a look to their work that just, if they make another movie and they make it like this, you're going to know who it is immediately. And I was really happy to see this movie kind of take time. off last year. A hell of a movie to launch on oh, Shutter during the pandemic. But like, it was <laughs> nice to see such a, because it's, at the end of the day, this is basically an avant-garde animated film and to see it like catch on with the mm -hmm. horror crowd and with just people curious about this sort of thing it was nice to see it do as well as it did yeah yeah really um it was really cool seeing everyone's reaction on on twitter just being like what the fuck am i watching like what the hell's going on <laughs> and i don't know it's just it's funny because like it's essentially like a rite of passage uh, a rite of passage by this point is to like just have that sense of confusion the first time you watch it and then, yeah, it's just up to the viewer if, like you said, if they want to go back and rewatch it with more context, or just leave it as is. It can it can really work as and, either. And, <laughs> honestly, it, it, it's gonna it's gonna be one of those movies that like uh, teenagers. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever did this when you were growing up, but like when we were like teenagers or like young high schoolers, we'd be like, hey, "This movie's really weird. We're gonna watch it." And you know, like you'd sit down and watch, say, like Eraserhead. And then it finished, you'd be like, what the fuck did I just watch? The Wolf House, I could see being one of those movies, like, in the future, just because of what it oh, is. Oh, totally, but totally. Hopefully, it will also educate people about things I didn't know. 
because exactly man, <laughs> and i learned like, a lot of stuff i didn't really want to know <laughs> yeah exactly like again like that that's the beauty in this film like it just um, it's like my fourth time saying it. it's just it shows you stuff that you didn't know about and i'm just like wow like it just shows you the power behind this and um yeah like <laughs> i could totally see a bunch of high schoolers just being like dude what the fuck is this like i don't know but like in in a great way because like i know if i watched this in high school i would have loved the hell out of this you know yeah like, it would have been great to watch and, yeah. i think i think it's a testament to the film's uh technical ability and power that i think anybody could walk in without any context watch it be at least curious about the things beyond it look into it and then maybe get a deeper appreciation for it yeah totally totally so my mind right now is just thinking to um what you said previous about the um how this film came out in the pandemic and i'm just like man isn't kind of interesting how like a film essentially a film about being like trapped inside a house came out when we were essentially trapped in our houses oh yeah <laughs> and like it was just like the perfect drop i guess you can say for for the the, the mainstream drop yeah yeah it it came yeah. at the right time even if that time was difficult i think uh well also people were watching more stuff uh this a movie like this might have had more difficulty you know get, gaining traction if there was more stuff going on but there wasn't and that's awesome i think it's i'm really glad this movie exists i'm really glad i've watched it a couple times by now yeah and i uh i don't have too much more yeah, to say same. about it <laughs> yeah no no yeah same here that that's, that's pretty much um all i really got I got through my through my points um okay so yeah the wolf house this is a chilean chilean film that definitely need to check out and well, let's move on to how. Welcome back, everybody. This is John Patterson, aka Astroslav, here with my co-host Mikey P. Jr., aka Descent. And the next film we are going to be covering is Howl from Beyond the Fog, which was released in 2019. It is a kaiju short film that is shot entirely using puppetry. The film was crowdfunded in late 2017, and it premiered in 2019. It is directed by Daisuke Sato. It is actually based off the short story The Foghorn by Ray Bradbury, which also, in a weird sort of connecting thing, that story also inspired the film The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, which in turn inspired Gojira in the early 50s. So, kind of a circular thing there. And if you want to take it away with a plot summary... So the film begins with Nebula, a giant reptilian monster, emerges from the hillside and kills two travelers on a bridge. Years later, in 1909, a boy named Aji returns to, to his hometown in Kayushu. Raised by his relatives, he knows little about his mother or recently deceased twin brother. He is startled to find a blind cousin, Takiri, also living with his mother. She instructs him not to tell his mother they've met as she's supposed to be dead. That night, he spots her walking to the lake and follows her, humming softly, she wakes up Nebula, who now resides in a nearby lake. Terrified, Aji flees. The next day, Aji oversees developers trying to convince his mother to sell the land to facilitate the construction of a dam. She refuses, as her family has worshipped her for generations. They note that Aji is the last smell in her family. As she and Aji eat breakfast, she explains that Takiri is her sister's daughter, left with her after her sister committed suicide. Believing that Takiri has gone insane, she has done her best to hide her from the town. He visits Takiri again, who offers to take him to see Nebula at dark. Rumors of the creatures have spread in this village as four of the developers conspire to flush him out. Takiri holds her hands over Aji's eyes as he reaches out to touch Nebula's face. As she removes her hands, Nebula disappears into the fog. The next day, the developers drag them outside and kick Takiri into the lake. As she falls, she remembers her mother who blinded her before taking her own life. 
Nebula comes to her rescue and takes Aji from her jaws. The developers fire on the, f on the monster, but to no effect as he chases them into town. As he lunges at one, he knocks paper lanterns onto the ground, starting a fire. Aji and Takiti find his mother's house destroyed. Dying in the ruins, she apologizes to Takiti for shutting her away and tells her to leave with Aji. But first, Takiti and Aji try to stop ne Nebula's rampage. The developers use fireworks to lure the monster to a bridge where they are waiting with a hand cannon. The blast topples Nebula, but he recovers after Takiti goes with him and dodges the next two shots. Inhaling fog, he knocks three of the men off the bridge with a blast of wind. Then he crushes their leader. At the end of the film, Nebula returns to the lake as Takiti tells Eji that they are now free to go to wherever they please. Alright, so I'll start us off here since this was my pick for the week. I decided to choose this because there's nothing quite like The Wolf House, so I wanted to do a film that was, you know, another interesting take on a way to do a genre film as animation, essentially. And instead of being, you know, this massive constructed piece of, essentially, like, art, uh, How From Beyond the Fog takes the ideas of, like, Japanese bunraku puppet theater and turns it into a pretty short it's a 35-minute film, a pretty short uh, kaiju piece that uh, I find absolutely fascinating. And I think this movie is honestly just gorgeous to look at. From everything from like the stylization and realism of the puppets themselves, to the shot choices, to the weird depth of field they have going on sometimes where it'll be frequently like pretty hazy around the edges of the frame, but it's like really sharp resolution on whatever is in the center of the frame. The fog segments look great. Uh, Nebula looks fantastic. Like, however they did that, it looks amazing. And it's just weird they, because... They it, really did a great job. It's It feels like a live-action movie that just... It's made with puppets. Like, it's shot like a live-action movie. The way that the puppets... The way they, they uh, simulate movement with them is, like, really good. And the film manages to use it that is, to it's, its advantage. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's... um. It is very lifelike. Um, so when I went in, when you showed me this film, which I'm really happy you showed me, um, I just went in blind, you know, so I had no idea like what to expect. And, you know, like the opening image of those travelers, like crossing the the uh, the little bridge. At first, I like I honestly thought this was live action. And then it zooms into their face and it's their, it's puppetry. And I was like, oh, OK, this is probably like an, a neat little um, effect that they have going on. <laughs> and I saw that it kept on going. And I was like, oh, my God, this is this is amazing like yeah i was like oh my god this is great like i totally understand why you picked this and i just again like i'm glad you did because like the wolf house is just it's oppressive you know it's like nihilistic and then how is just this really beautiful film that i just i really was not expecting and like you said there's just there's so much there's just so much great qualities to this like the cinematography and everything is just it's beautifully shot like it has a really nice i really enjoy the connection with um nebula the uh the kaiju and um takiri the um the, the blind woman and um something else of note is i had forgotten until this rewatch i watched this movie a bunch of times but like it's pretty short and you know thematically it's not as dense as say the wolf house but i love when they do takiri's flashbacks as like watercolor paintings basically yes that like smooth yes. and like they don't show you everything exactly how it happened but it's like sense memory of this thing happened and it's like oh they're trying their best to approximate what it what this blind how this blind girl remembers these things and especially like from originally she wasn't you know like blind at birth or anything she was blinded by her mother because i for what i can suss out from the <coughs> from 
the those flashback sequences the reason that she took out her eyes is because people thought she was cursed because she had blue eyes and blue eyes weren't exactly common so like people thought they were cursed so her mom took her eyes out right before that she threw herself into the lake where nebula lives and so this is not the first time that nebula has saved her when nebula saves her in the film because after she was blinded and thrown into the lake nebula saved her that time as well like there's there's a lot going on and the film is a lot more i'll say optimistic than the wolf house is you know like the wolf house is oppressive and bleak and this is like it shows that there are difficulties and there are bad things that happen but things will be right eventually you know yeah like it's just it does a really good way of like handling its like its themes where um you know like it does start off really bleak and like just the whole color palette is just it's very gloomy and it's very it's just very moody and that's why I, I love the contradiction where like we get this so like i just thought of this right now it's like the wolf house is very colorful it's very um you know like it really puts all its colors out there but yet it's the complete opposite whereas this film it's um like like i said it's moody but it's um it's given us an optimistic look at the end and i just thought i, I don't know I, I just thought of that right now and I, I think it's a really nice touch yeah and uh more color comes into the film like right at the end like the more you dive into yes. those memories, the more color comes. Because you know, I, I, Ag's just coming home to basically visit, coming to hang out, and then he gets there, and oh, there's the there's this blind girl I don't know about, and oh, there's also a monster in the lake, and it's like it almost has that kind of like kids creature feature vibe at the beginning, but you know, like very somber, so very serious. Add on to that, yeah, yeah. it's got kind of like takes like a really old creature feature kaiju message about like a about population encroachment and uh, development and, you know, taking over the land. And by the end, Nebula goes back because Nebula is completely satisfied. Town's gone. House is gone. People who are being jerks are gone. Time to go sleep again. It's like, it's a very basic tale just told very well and very beautifully. Yeah, yeah, of course. And that's, that's exactly what I got where it's basically like, it's this modernization versus like the old and ancient, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I and I do believe that at least this is the way how I saw it is just the way how this is filmed has a lot to do with that theme because like so essentially like um uh the developers like weren't showing respect to this late god because they wanted to kill him so therefore like he takes his revenge and this and, and to me I was just thinking like the way how this film was shot it's basically the director showing the respect to traditional storytelling you know to the old in this modern way. If that makes any sense. I don't know. That's just the way how like I, I connected it to. Yeah, and it's also got like the like the Wolf House. It's got a very fairy tale feel to the whole thing. Like it sounds like a cautionary yeah, tale. You would tell like, oh no, we can't go up and build up there because the Lake Gods can come out and wreck our shit. You know, like that's the reason we can't do mm-hmm. that. And they're like, okay, cool. Lake God got it. It's it's just such <laughs> it's such an earnest film. Like it's and it it comes through in every frame of it and all the hard work that I can't even imagine that went into making this in the first place. Like you have to love what you're doing to make something like this, just like with the wolf house, like in a different way. When you see Nebula open uh, her, his, I don't know, open its mouth. And like, you see like the, the jaw tendons moving and stuff like that. That's crazy stuff. Like the Nebula puppet is great. All the other puppets are really good. Like, they have the hands set up just right so that they can... There's only really one goofy-looking moment I found in the whole movie, and that's when uh, Takiri covers Eiji's eyes. It just kind of looks silly for a second there. Like, just mm-hmm. the way the movement is, like, it's so it's up so close. You're like, oh, yeah, that's puppets. And I just kept thinking about Team America, and I'm sorry. I still love this movie. That's not a <laughs> knock on it. But it just... It just 
no, everything no, no, else yeah. looks great. So when something looks kind of janky or silly, like it stands out more. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I thought oh, yeah. it was good. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, you know, and I was actually looking online, you know, because like I watched the movie, like I, I wrote down my notes, and then I was I was kind of curious, like what the general consensus consensus was, and I saw a lot of people didn't like the idea that it was puppets, and I'm like, I don't know, like how could you not like this? Like I feel this was very unique to this tale, and it's just. I just really enjoyed seeing something like this, and I can't even begin to imagine the uh, the the time and effort that was put into this. Like, I think I saw that this was on this was actually a Kickstarter, right? Yes, it was Kickstarted in 2017. It apparently reached uh, 150% of its goal with 140 backers. It raised 1,269,842 yen. And like, hold on, let's let's actually do a yen to dollar thing because still the film is not made for a lot of money that is uh, about 12 grand if i'm reading this right oh my god that's nothing one two three twelve yes so how do you shoot a kaiju film when you don't have a ton of money well if you can make puppets you make puppets the thing is it's inventive because it's a story this person wanted to tell and they found a way to do it and it used puppets and that actually makes it more interesting than if it was a low-budget kaiju film that didn't use puppets and looked like trash you know what i mean like you can't have everything yeah, exactly, exactly. all the time, especially when it comes to low-budget yeah, like, filmmaking. you got to lean into your strengths. And this movie really leans into its strengths, and it does not look like it was shot yes. for next to nothing. Honestly, I had an idea. 12000 like, that's nothing. You can, like, I don't know. Just I'm, like, trying to put this in perspective and, like, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's really nothing. And it, it honestly looks like a really legit, well-made, like, well-shot film. So I'm just I'm, – I'm, I'm, I'm really surprised. Yeah. Like, it's – it's it's honestly crazy and that's one of the things i really want to highlight while we're doing this is the movies that do a lot with a little and movies that are just like there's nothing else like them and you know not every movie that we run through on this series is going to be like that because you can't just do a whole series of that because you'll run out of stuff you want to talk about after a while but i think that Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. what this movie is and for how it was made it is there's nothing just like the wolf house there's nothing else like it it is one of a kind in exactly. its exactly. genre. It is one of a kind basically in the world. And if the director, um, Mr. Daisuke Sato, wants to make another one of these, I would be 100% down to watch that. I would love to see more like this. Oh, totally, totally. Oh, yes, yes. Like, this is like, I really hope this like jumpstarts like a, a little movement within like these uh, genre films. Yeah. Um, who knows if it'll happen? It looks like he's got things lined up, mostly cinematography work, and it looks like he used to do mm-hmm. model work for older films. So, oh, yeah, he I also did, did another adaptation. Old, uh... He did another ab- adaptation of The Foghorn in 2007, but that's probably traditionally shot. I'll have to track oh, okay. that down. So it's another. So he just likes this story. From so he really likes sound. that story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he really likes it. And so maybe he made um, it the first time. He didn't like how it turned out, and then. Uh, Decided to do it again. <laughs> I mean, it happens. Directors totally remake their own work. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I don't um, know. I do want to point out, though. Um, Keep going. I'm like a big fan of um, like the Mexican golden age of cinema. And so like that's really known for being extremely me- melodramatic. And, you know, like I-, I love me some drama, especially when it's like over the top. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this film is very melodramatic. But I love it. It works. You know what I mean? Like we get those like fairly long shots of just the um, nebula like screaming with its foghorn like into the world like out of pain and misery. And it's just like, oh, my God, I love every shot of that, you know? Yeah. This film really takes its time. it, It really leans heavily into like oversized emotions. And like you said, yeah, I love it. The, I love it. Like 
the sound of nebula is actually one of my favorite things in the movie because it sounds like a foghorn but like modulated so it sounds like a giant creature at the same time it's like it can mean a lot of things and like the emotion of the melodrama of the scenes will let you know what exactly it means and sometimes it does it forever and sometimes it only does it for a second it's like oh yeah i love that sort of stuff too like a lot yeah like just like give me that like raw i can't even say human just that raw emotion you know what i mean like just make it like just spill from the screens like i fucking love it so much i don't know why but i just do (laughs) (laughs) and um like i just i couldn't stop thinking about the um connection between nebula and takiri and like oh man like that was just done so fucking well because like takiri was blind and nebula will like is basically she's based it's basically stuck in that lake and then we see um takiri who's essentially like trapped by her blindness you know so like that's where that, that um that that's where we see their their connection forming basically yeah and you can also say that like they're also both being pushed out of the world or their lives because Takiri is being pushed out because they thought she was cursed and her mom tried to kill her. So she's still considered cursed. So no Mm. one wants anything to do with her. So she's basically pushed out of everyday life and the developers are trying to come in and push uh, Nebula out of her home. So at the same time, they're, they're Mm. one and the same. They, they both exist in such a way where they're both being like essentially attacked and pushed out of society or out of their proper place in the world, basically by events that are beyond their control Mm -hmm. and so like they have a kinship there yeah totally yeah yeah and there's just like i know i know for sure there's a lot more layers that like director does like connect these two like going back to the roar and like it's like tempered foghorn type of deal like i mean if you think about it like what is a foghorn you know what i mean like essentially to help like boats like what trapped in darkness to help find their light and that's essentially like this whole like not contradiction but that this whole like light and darkness theme that basically goes on throughout this film and yeah just like i'm saying like it's just it's just done so fucking well. Like, damn. <laughs> and if you want to really riff on the light and darkness thing, you know, the developers are darkness. Nebula is light. Um, uh, yeah. T- Takiri is a character who was born in light, but was forced into darkness basically. And the only light she can see is coming from the fog horn itself. Cause that's her only connection with anything. Cause everyone else shuns her. You could really like go down a rabbit mm-hmm. hole of how that works here. And I do like yeah. the idea of like, the foghorn actually is, you know, like an actual like nautical tool to like try to help during, you know, when you can't see a lighthouse, you have to use a foghorn. I like the idea that uh, mm-hmm. basically because she can't see and she's lost in the darkness, she can hear the foghorn and know where she's going and know where she is in the world. And that's, oh man, that's, that's good stuff right mm-hmm. there. Isn't it like, damn, man, like, I'm just, <laughs> man, I'm so fucking happy you showed me this one. Like, <laughs> and now you're bringing up like, ideas and you're making me think about it in a completely different way. I'm just like, haha, cool kaiju <laughs> puppet movie. It's pretty. And you're like, well, what about darkness and light? And I'm like, oh, man, I love it even more. Now I'm going to watch it again when I'm done recording. <laughs> you this see what episode. I mean? Like, <laughs> this is exactly why I wanted to do this was like just to really dig into like, I mean, like you mentioned in the opening episode, like we're getting two different perspectives and we're just going to conjoin them and just talk about like just the greatness that we can get from these films, you know? Yeah. And hopefully, like as we learn more about these films from each other, as we were talking about it, because I think I mentioned the thing in the Wolf House part where it's like, well, the Wolf's Pinochet and she's uh, whatever his name is. I don't remember his name right now. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. wow. And then you just did this nonsense to me. And I'm like, oh, wow. And it's like, okay, now I can appreciate it more. And hopefully <laughs> that'll rub off on exactly. you guys listening who can hear this and go, maybe that movie's worth watching, even though it's, you know, not something. 
that you know maybe you seek out you in your know, spare and if time. They watch it like, yeah, if if they watch it like, I will be content because that's that's what I want. You know what I mean? I just I want to just open the eyes to more of these films out there that would have flown under your radar. You know, like, without you knowing. Yeah, and that's that's what we're that's basically the whole mission statement of the episode. Like, I mean, the series as a whole, it's like yep. get more people to watch more cool movies because there's a lot of movies out there, and that is a great thing because there's a lot mm-hmm. of movies, and it's also a bad thing because there's a lot of movies. And you can you know yeah. you can get you can get <laughs> I mean, caught obviously. in ruts where you're like you're just watching one specific type of thing all the time. So we're trying to you know check that up a bit see if there's anything out there that maybe you'll really enjoy that you wouldn't have uh, thought of otherwise exactly and if you don't let us know like you know like i really want to know just other people's like um just thoughts going into this like for the first time watching it or even their multiple reviews like i don't know i just i love hearing how people like their their perspectives you know like because everyone's going to get something different out of it yeah, and that, that comes down to taste. Is like uh, we're not all gonna agree on the same movies. I don't think that's possible at all. You can't have one person that you agree yeah, on everything with. So seeing where those lines get drawn and where people find their interests, you know, you learn more about them. You learn more about film in general. I think uh, if anybody watches any of these movies after an episode, yeah, let us know. Tag us on Twitter. Uh, me at Astroslap, Mikey. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? It's a uh, Mikey Peralta Jr. And you can find me on uh, pretty much on all social media like Twitters and uh, Instagram and TikTok and whatever. Um, it, it's all under the same handle. So Yeah. And you just find us on there and let us know what you thought of these movies or you could tell us we're wrong. That's yes, fine please. too. Please tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> I frequently feel wrong all the time. So it doesn't hurt nothing. Exactly. Do you have anything else to uh, wrap up on uh, uh, How From Beyond the Fog with? Um. Not really. I just um, that theme song though. Ooh, I can. Tell that oh, yeah. I I meant I meant to mention that that soundtrack goes from the beginning of the film Ooh. to the end, and it never gets bad. And I'm yes. deeply upset because I could not find a way to buy the soundtrack or listen to it in any capacity outside of watching I really the wish film. I could, like, yeah, it's so fucking nice. Like, just, <laughs> oh, man, so great. <laughs> I just left the. Uh, I, it had I, so I, much drama. I just left the DVD menu looping for like f- two hours yesterday, and it was like the theme cuts in from time That's to exactly time what on I was it. And I was like, "Yes, <laughs> thank you." It's so nice to just have it in the background. Like, God, it's just it, it's a nice combination of like of whatever that that composer did. Yeah, it's it's um. But I think uh, that's probably right. about it. Well, that concludes this episode. Just please, please rate and subscribe on iTunes. Every little review helps us. And share it to a friend who you think might enjoy this film. And thank you for descending into these films from around the world. And as a final reminder, you can reach uh, Mikey at Mikey Peralta Jr. Jr. at uh, on Twitter, Instagram, several places. I am only on Twitter at Astroslop. Um, we will be back once I decide what the next film is, and we will be recording that shortly. So. Hope you guys are having a great time and have a wonderful evening. 